Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of three, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge coming from over a decade of work experience with my master's degree in early childhood special education and combining it with real mom life, not just the theory, to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and you'll gain practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple yet impactful changes. So let's dive in together. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Core Parenting Conversations. Today I am chatting with a wonderful colleague, dear friend, and my cousin, Dr. Tori Cordiano, who's a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Ohio. She has extensive experience working with children, adolescents, young adults, and families. She's the Director of Research for Laurel Schools Center for Research on Girls and a Consulting Psychologist for Laurel School in Shaker Heights. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology from Case Western Reserve University in 2009 and completed her clinical internship at Applewood Centers in Cleveland. She also completed a postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric psychologist in the Neurodevelopment Center at Akron Children's Hospital, where she received extensive experience in the evaluation and treatment of children and adolescents with complex medical and psychological needs. And just as a personal note, she's someone I look up to. She's someone I respect. I consider her a mentor, a confidant, and just a sanity keeper alongside my own journey in motherhood. So I am so excited to bring Tori on the show today and talk about a topic that naturally came up in conversation when we were visiting with one another with our families. So without further ado, let's dive in to this core parenting conversation. Welcome back to another core parenting conversation. And I am so excited to have, full disclosure, my cousin and a very good friend, Dr. Tori Cordiano on the podcast today. And we are talking about a topic we actually had in a conversation while we were on a walk visiting with each other about bullying. And I thought it was super relevant going into the new school year because social conflict tends to happen right away, right out of the gate. And bullying is definitely a hot topic that comes up throughout the school year. And I think We can offer some helpful perspectives, helpful tools to use with your kids. So thanks so much for being here, Tori. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this with you. Always excited to talk with you about anything. (laughs) Yes, the feeling is very, very mutual. Um, (laughs) And I think that this is just one of those conversations that, you know, we had amongst ourselves and that while we were having it, I was like, gosh, this would be so helpful to so many people. Because I know as a parent, when your kid comes home and says, so-and-so was mean to me, or so-and-so did this, the first instinct very much as a parent is to get defensive. That mama bear gets Mm -hmm. activated very quickly. Have you had that experience? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of work, I think, as a parent to 
have that reaction on the inside and sit with it and still be a steady presence as your child is sharing this information. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that because that is like huge. (laughs) But first, I want to talk about because I feel like bullying is a real issue that we're having in schools and especially as kids get gain access to technology. And, you know, it used to be like it would just stay at school and now it's much more prevalent and it comes into the house. But let's talk about, I think, some a nuance you and I spoke about was the difference between bullying and conflict. And as a parent, pausing for a moment and being able to discern what exactly is going on and how can I support my child? So give us a definition of bullying. What is it? What does it look like? Yes. I'm glad you're starting here because I think we do better in addressing this issue when we're clear on the terms. So bullying is problematic and it is different than conflict. Bullying, we consider bullying to be when there is an imbalance of power between the aggressor and the victim. And that could be a physical difference. It could be social capital. It could just be a feeling of safety in the situation. Bullying can be physical. It can be verbal. It can be relational. It can occur in person or online or both. And we see it when there is typically, not always, but we see it when there is a repeated pattern of behavior. It's more likely to occur more than just sort of a one-off kind of situation. So I want to go back to the imbalance of power, because this Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me, because you think of, you know, I don't know, back in the old sitcoms, or like, I'm thinking maybe of a full house episode or something, where like the big kid is beating up and or like, no, it was um, Saved by the Bell and shoving Screech into the locker, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when we talk about an imbalance of power, and maybe it's like social capital or emotional capital, could it be one child's just more vulnerable to the situation? Or what does that look like in the more nuanced? Because I don't think it's going to overtly look like Screech being shoved in the locker. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It much more occurs with a social or emotional imbalance of power. And this could be that somebody, I mean, to use a a term that we're all familiar with, that somebody is more popular um, Mm. or has more power within the social group, which means that other I'm going to say students, but you know, children, it doesn't have to happen at school, uh, might be afraid of the ramifications of standing up to this person. Or it could be someone that has a lot of social connection and can use that to turn other people against the person that they, that they are bullying. So I'm thinking in like early childhood terms, like let's just say third grade and under real quick, my sure. brain is scanning for that. And what I might hear in an early childhood classroom would be something along the lines of, Nobody, I've seen this, you know, no, don't sit with him at that table. Everybody come sit with me. Mm -hmm. And so that child is being ostracized, singled out, and the rest of the the friend group is sitting by themselves, you know, excluding them at the table. Is that, is that happening perpetually? Is, does that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I I like that you added the word perpetually there because that can happen in a one-off situation. So maybe there's some disagreement earlier in the day or at recess, they don't get along and then they come back and then the child utters that don't sit with so-and-so, everybody come sit by me. It is brutal. But if it's happening in a one-time situation and then it's repaired and moved on, we probably wouldn't consider that bullying. 
if it's a pattern of behavior that is recurring, then we're starting to move toward bullying territory. So let's talk about the conflict because I can see that happening after a playground conflict, let's say. Totally. I think there's a big difference because there's that single episode where we can kind of point to it and say, okay, it started there. Whereas if this is happening every day, as soon as the child walks into the classroom and there's not really that catalyst for this behavior, is that the signal to the parent of, okay, there's some there's something deeper, stronger going on at play right here. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And we want to be careful, even if there is a catalyst to the bullying situation, we want to be careful to be clear to the child who is being bullied that you did not cause this. This is not mm-hmm. your fault. Even if it originated from conflict, we expect that conflict can occur and it can be messy, but then we can move forward without it taking a left turn into bullying. So when we're framing it, there could be an inciting incident, but it does does not mean that it is in any way, shape or form that child's fault that they are being bullied. Okay. So I love this. So let's talk about conflict because I've never been conflict adverse. I've never been someone who avoids conflict. I've always kind of run into it. But then learning how to have healthy conflict has been a <laughs> a journey, especially as a parent, you know, having healthy conflicts, learning how to facilitate it with my kids, my children disagreeing with me and pushing back on me as a parent. And then really the sibling conflict at home and seeing how when we the way we address it at home really does carry over to their peer circles. So if our child comes home and says, Billy didn't let me play with them on the playground today. They were all playing soccer and they wouldn't let me play soccer. Or Mm -hmm. even in pre-K, you know, the classic, you can't come to my birthday party line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, is the ultimate insult, right? So how do we as a parent tackle the conflict first without jumping to this idea of, oh, they're being bullied and we've got to raise all, like, all the things we have? Yes. First, it's important to recognize that as parents or caregivers or people who just care deeply about this child in front of us, we are going to have an an internal reaction to that. It would be very strange if we did not. But Mm -hmm. leading up to that, if we, on the front end, before any of that even occurs, can have an understanding that conflict is going to happen, Mm -hmm. conflict is actually a healthy part of development, Conflict can be the kind of growth-giving stress that we hope for for kids, and conflict is really hard to see your child navigate. So all of those things are true. And if we can hold that in one part of our brain and know that it's there, then when our child comes home and says, they said I couldn't come to their birthday party or they wouldn't let me play soccer... It at least can help us recognize, oh, I'm having a a reaction to this, but I also know that all of those things about conflict are true. And this is sounding a whole lot like conflict. Can I just, full disclosure, the first time my first child came home from preschool, and I don't even remember what the conflict was, but he cried. You know, it was one of those like bedtime sobs where he was just unloading. Yeah, I held it together while I laid with him. And then I walked out of his room once he was asleep and I sat down on the couch and I sobbed. It was our first time, his first time, my first time going through that. 
And having to sit there and sit in that, like you said, just sit with like, wow, this is really hard to watch my child go through this. And also know that social conflict is such a growth opportunity. It's such a self development piece into early childhood. But even knowing all of those things, it didn't dull the emotional response that I had. So I just want to like normalize that for parents. (laughs) Absolutely. And perhaps there are many parents and I think there are many parents who can hear that and maybe not have a very strong reaction. I'm not one of those parents, right? So we aim for what we can do in the moment and we're aiming for the best that we can. So if you have experienced conflict or have your child come to you and talk about conflict and you haven't been steady and calm and you have had a big reaction, guess what? You're human, right? That's Mm -hmm. totally normal. That's Mm -hmm. okay. We can have that reaction in the moment and then we can do a lot of work to kind of set the tone moving forward. But let's say you're able to do what you did. You keep it together in the moment it's so healthy and helpful to have some outlet for that, whether it's crying on the couch or texting a friend that you trust or venting to a partner. It's good for us as parents to have a way to kind of offload that reaction and process it so that we can show up in the way that we want to for our kids. Okay. So how do we show up for them? (laughs) Your kids like Mm -hmm. spelling this out to you. And I imagine, you know, the complaints, the conflict obviously look different as we move through the different stages of development. But I really feel like as in general, the parent response remains the same. And we might build on it as they get older and can understand more concepts and have more tools in their own toolkit. But a good starting point for parents with younger children coming home and sharing this early elementary, let's say. Yeah. So I am a big fan of like those little mantras that I keep in my head for, you know, this tough points with kids. And the one that I keep in mind is um, the Aaron Burr line from Hamilton, the talk less, smile more. And the smile more part doesn't apply here. Do you do that one too? I love it. So after myself, I've shifted it to talk less, take in more. They give me more when I talk less. So I'm doing a lot with my face. I'm conveying Mm -hmm. that I'm listening. I'm making some sympathetic noises, but I'm starting by just letting them share what's going on. And then we can get a sense from them of what a clear next step may be. Is it a big emotional release? And then they go to bed and then they're up the next morning and it's forgotten. Or is it something that they wake up and they're still talking about or they're worried about going to school, which takes a little bit more problem solving Mm -hmm. and maybe some advocacy or talking about self-advocacy with them Mm -hmm. on their behalf? Is it something that like we need to then take it to the teacher because they what they're describing is crossing a line of physical or emotional safety? So if we're able to be a presence that is just listening and taking it in, it can often guide what our next step should be. I love that. And you know, it, it happened recently with one of my children where he came home and a huge emotional release around bedtime. And I was expecting after that, I was expecting the next morning to be very challenging, expecting him to not want to go and and all of this. Tori, he woke up and I, <laughs> I checked in with him. I said, hey, bud, how are you feeling about today? He was like, great, mom, where are my socks? And because socks are like a big deal in his wardrobe ensemble. And um, and I just looked at my husband. And I was like, 
I guess we're over it. Like, I guess we've moved on and we're ready to face the day. So is that enough? Like, do I need to go back and readdress it with him? Or is that Mm -hmm. just, he was good to go, it seems like. I love the way that you handled that that with the, hey, how are you feeling about today? Right? Because (laughs) if it's still on his mind, that's a wide open door for him to step in and continue to process it. But if he's ready to pick out his socks and head out the door, he takes that question as, I'm feeling great. I'm ready to wear the cool socks and I'm ready to have a a great day. I think this is actually one of the hardest parts about helping our kids navigate conflict is that many times, I would venture even to say the majority of times when they have conflict, they, if you're lucky enough that they'll share it with you, they will share it. They'll offload it to you. You're now holding it. They've had the emotional release and they are ready to move on. And as parents, it's helpful if we let them move on because it gives them a chance to re-enter the situation, to figure out how they repair it or how they just kind of continue to move forward and keep going. And when kids are past it, it's good for us as parents to notice, am I past it or am I like Am I still stuck in this? And if I am, I kind of need to treat that as something that I'm going to figure out how to manage and not make that the job of my kid to help me manage. This conversation is made possible through my core membership program. If you want to dive deeper into parenting questions, connect with a like-minded community, have access to a huge database of workshops, guidebooks, and weekly Q&As with me so I can answer all of your parenting questions, all for less than $20 a month. Go to www.kayleekukla.com backslash core to learn more. That's www.kaleykukla.com backslash C-O-R to learn more. It's also linked in the show notes. Now let's get back to our core conversation. So it would have been very different had I said, hey, you know, are you still thinking about what we talked about last night? Are you worried that Billy is going to not let you come in the fort today? And now I've reintroduced. Is that what we're doing? We're kind of making it a bigger deal in their mind again, or bringing it up or dredging that up for them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very wary of like, we never want to say this, or we always want to say this because Mm -hmm. what parent can hold that in their head. But I do think if we're able to keep it vague enough that, and you know, your child, right? So if you have a child who's waking up and looking kind of mopey, then you might say, Hey, are you still thinking about what we talked about last night? I think Mm -hmm. when we provide the leading questions, my husband's an attorney, (laughs) I think about like, Ooh, that's a leading question. Isn't it? Is Billy not going to let you back in the circle again? Of course, they're going to go into school with like, well, maybe Billy's not going to let me into the circle again. So we want to give them, it's not that we're trying to gloss over it or scooch them through it too quickly. We want to give them plenty of opportunities to process and and problem solve, but we also want to give them plenty of opportunities to move forward and and move on. That's so funny because my dad's an attorney too. And like questions are everything Mm -hmm. and in their profession and the leading questions, leading the witness is what we would say to each other. And so that's just, that's hilarious, meeting the witness. So, okay, so we've let the kid unload, we're holding it now, and we can decide if it's ours that we need to deal with it, because it I mean, it hurts when our kids are hurting, we hurt too. That's natural. Absolutely. 
So what do we do if our child wakes up and they're not over it? They're dreading going back to school or they're worried about this conflict that was not resolved yesterday. And now they're, they're resistant to going to school or they're in tears over it. What, what do we do as parents? What's that next step look like? I think a lot of this can be guided by age and developmental level. With younger children, there may be more parent involvement. It may involve reaching out to the teacher and letting them know, hey, I'm sure this is on your radar, but if not, here's what happened. Here's what we talked about. So-and-so is feeling some nervousness about coming back into school. And I think as kids get older, they naturally want a little bit less of that unless, you know, some kids do still want that. Some kids do still want their parents' help in, in navigating it and explaining to the teacher or, or, or a little bit more input. And of course, again, if it's going into that bullying territory, this is outside the level that we would want or expect kids to be handling on their own. But let's say it's still conflict. With any age of child, even little ones, I think it's really helpful to pose the question of, how do you think you want to handle this today? Mm -hmm. And that puts some agency back in them. If it's conflict, they may still feel this sort of helplessness, right? Of this happened to me. I feel nervous. I don't know what's going to happen next. It feels unpredictable. So any place we can give them a little bit more control, a little bit more autonomy, it helps boost their confidence that they can handle the situation. I love that so much. And I'll just share, you know, I've coached my kids about using their big voice or their assertive voice since, I don't know, toddlerhood, essentially, when they can first start saying no. And this recently happened with my my six-year-old. And when I asked him, I said, well, did you try using your big voice, which he knows? Mm -hmm. He said, well, yeah, mom, but he didn't listen. And I very much always told my kids, your job is to use your voice. And if the friends, the person doesn't listen to your voice, they need help following, you know, following that boundary that you've set for them. And so that's when getting an adult to help them is appropriate. And he went to school and spoke to an adult. And when I asked him about it in the car, I said, hey, how was how was so-and-so today? So I did ask kind of a leading question, but we had talked about it in the morning. He goes, well, I told the teacher and she talked to us and he was, it was all better after that. Yeah. Oh, and what a powerful experience for him that he can use his voice, even when it doesn't go the way that he had hoped, which I can use my big voice. And then this kid stops, then he can use his big voice again and they can figure it out. That's very powerful for all of them. Right. So I just, you know, there is that, I think there's this part of this spectrum maybe of being overly sensitive to things and we don't want to, but then also not wanting to tattle. And there's this line of it's not tattling if you genuinely need help solving the issue or if the other child genuinely needs help to help like keep everybody safe is that line. Yeah. A lot of early childhood classrooms, I see this a lot in pre-K and K one, two, they do a lot of work around what's tattling and what's getting help. And it and it's nice when kids have that clear distinction and we can echo that language at home if they have siblings or neighbors mm-hmm. that they might be encountering conflict with. Ooh, so we didn't think we were going to talk about tattling. We thought we were just going to talk bullying today. But real <laughs> quick, before we go into bullying, what's... So I love 
And I, I honestly, Tori, I did this in the car yesterday or two days ago, driving with my kids and they were, he, he, they were pulling that he pinched me while he hit me, you know, and they were telling me as I'm driving, like I can do anything for them in the backseat. And I was like, okay, tell him Mm -hmm. you're telling me, tell him. (laughs) So let me like, let's talk about tattling for a minute. So how do we, you know, how do we as parents help our children discern in this circumstance? I told my kid, I'm like, you go to the teacher and you tell the teacher you've tried and you need help. But what is that line? We don't want to create, perpetuate this idea of tattling after every single little thing. Right. And I like that, that benchmark of, am I telling to get help or am I telling to get somebody in trouble? And those are two different things, right? And it could be, I need help or this kid's doing something unsafe and he needs some help, right? So it's not just about, I need help. It's somebody in this situation needs help. That is absolutely when we want you to go get a grown up and, and get that help. If it's, I could get this kid in trouble, that would be tattling. I think in visuals sometimes, so in that kind of situation where it's you and and two kids and they're both kind of pulling you into it, the shape that they've created is a triangle, right? They've, they're two, two vertices. We're in first grade talking a lot about vertices lately. So we've got two (laughs) vertices that are the kids and then the other vertice that is you and they've created this triangulation. And actually what they need is like a straight line between the two of them where they can be looking at each other and talking to each other and attempting to solve that problem or this is hard in the car, they can be turning their backs on each other and getting some space, which is often what we need when conflict keeps brewing up again and again. I love that visual because triangulation is something that I've talked about in therapy before in family systems therapy. So this very much is something that we are as parents with our children at young ages, really fostering and modeling and teaching what healthy communication is, which is the point between two lines or the line between two points, not that triangulation, which can happen in unhealthy or dysfunctional family systems. So that's great. So let's move into bullying with the time we have left. And we're talking about bullying. And so let's say now this conflict has crossed the line. It's perpetual. Child many, many days in a row does not want to go to school, does not want to deal with it. What as we as parents, what's our first step there? In my mind, our first step is what we say to our child, which is, I'm so glad you told me. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely the right thing to let me know. This is a bigger problem than we want you to be handling on your own. This is a problem where grownups need to help. So just to frame it, and because we want to create that open communication and the expectation that when you are in a situation that is over your head, you should come to me. You should come to the trusted grownups to help you solve it. So that's step one. And then we pick up the mantle and we start with the communication that needs to happen. If it's happening at school, I think the teacher is a next logical step because it can give us some more information about what is actually occurring. And to just say, you know, to come in neutral and curious and but very clear on what your child has shared, that he's feeling unsafe being at school. He's saying this is happening again and again. Can you tell me what you're seeing and how we move forward? What's the next step here? So if it's at school, teachers in schools, they often have good policies in place about how they handle bullying. But sometimes some of that information can be a little outdated. So for example, we used to think it was necessary in a bullying situation to like get the bully and the kid together and have them talk it out. 
And we know that often that does more harm than good, that the person who is being bullied does not want to, does not need to sit down and face this bully and have a conversation. What they actually need is to feel safe and to feel like they can function in the setting without threat from this person who is doing the bullying. So we don't need to have those kind of sit downs. Now, again, if it's conflict, having space for kids to work it out can be really helpful. But if it's bullying with that imbalance of power, that may not feel safe or productive, productive for either party and safe for the person who is being bullied. Okay. So the first question that came to mind as I was listening, because I think I still see it in schools where we're going to sit down with the the child who's doing the bullying and the person who feels bullied and we're going to like talk this out. And Mm -hmm. I have seen that backfire on many Mm -hmm. occasions. So my heart goes out to the bully. And I've I've been in a position before where I've had to advocate for my own children and also really hold space for the bully. So what do we do if we're the parent of a child who is being labeled as a bully who's being accused or is yeah. who's struggling with picking on other kids or, or however we want to frame it, you know, but we're getting this feedback as a parent. We're like, oh, I mean, those parents, I think, cry just as hard as the kids oh, who are being yeah. targeted. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's heartbreaking. It, it's such a scarlet letter, too, for a kid that it feels hard to come back mm-hmm. from that. And the last thing we want is for kids and, and you know, your audience is largely parents of young kids. Like the last thing we want is for a seven-year-old to be labeled with this term that they just cannot ever come back from because then where is the room for for growth and and to move forward? So as parents, if if our child is the one who is being the bully, again, we're going to have a reaction. As much as possible, we want to notice any defensiveness that we feel. We want to be able to take it in, to process it a little bit before we're starting to handle it with our children that we are working in conjunction with the school, if it's happening at school or with the other parent, if it's another parent bringing it to you, and that we're figuring out what is it that my child needs. Do they need some coaching on how to handle conflict so that it doesn't swirl into this pattern of bullying? Are they in some way, shape, or form feeling unsafe at school? Are they feeling isolated? Do they Are they more aggressive? Do they not know how to manage these aggressive impulses that are natural and healthy in kids, but without the right way to manage them can turn into something like bullying. So sometimes that might be work that we can do with our kids on our own. Often it's work that we need to partner with some other professionals that could be teachers, it could be a school counselor, it could be an outside therapist or someone who helps build social skills. Any number of folks could help us in that situation. And and the goal is to get kids to a place where they can repair And then they can figure out how to establish good relationships moving forward. And that doesn't mean that they have to be friends with everybody, but that they have a way to either create space with a child that they don't get along with, or to be able to be in the same space and handle it safely. I think this is a really good point to kind of sum up. You just led us to a place as like, oh, we might not have time to get there. But I wanted to touch on this because I wanted to destigmatize whether your child is being bullied or your child is bullying. Because the fact of the matter is, especially in early childhood, right, our kids are designed, they're wired to experiment with social dynamics. They're getting to know social boundaries. They're getting to know their own sense of agency and autonomy. Like all of that can very much quickly spiral into these power play type situations where they're experimenting. 
But there is a shift in early childhood from everybody is your friend to not everybody Mm -hmm. is your friend. And then when our children are, I don't like the word forced, but kind of expected to be everyone's friend, at some point that expectation becomes really unfair and unnatural. And kids might buck extra hard against that. So how do we have those conversations of, you don't have to be everybody's friends. I don't, I don't think that's a taboo conversation. I think, but how do we not be everybody's friends? You, the expectation is what? To still be kind to everybody, to still be pleasant. Where's that line, especially in our I love that you brought this up. And I know a lot of teachers who intentionally shift that language around kindergarten, that they move from saying, give this to your friend over there or friends, you know, because it's a ridiculous expectation that you are going to be friends with everybody in your classroom. Sometimes, you know, we have classrooms of kids with 30 kids in the classroom. You're not going to be friends with all of them. Think about the last time you worked in an office setting with more than five or six people. (laughs) Would you say that you were friends with all of them? I mean, maybe if you got lucky, but chances are no. And yet you can work together. You can be kind. You can even be friendly. And I like those as markers for kids. They're very clear. They're very concrete. They are expectations that kids can put their fingers into and understand and move forward with. We expect you to be kind. We expect you to be able to work together and we hope that you can try to be friendly. But we're not, not everybody. Friendship is something that's deeper. It's more meaningful. There might be shared interests, shared personalities or balance of personalities, but not everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard in, you know, one of my conversations I've had here on the podcast is talking about acceptance and kindness with children and inclusion and how to have that. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive to everybody is your friend or nobody's your friends. Mm-hmm. There's that nuance that we start developing throughout early childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. And we can, you know, the inclusivity piece, as kids get older, we can get more nuanced in our conversations. We might include people who are not our friends in a game of kickball, right? If if we want to have enough kids to play or we don't want two people to feel left out. But if we're having a play date with somebody outside of school, that might be a time where we say, this is my friend and I want a chance to play with this person one-on-one. So we can help them differentiate between I can include people, I can be kind, we can work together and I can be friendly. And then I can have my friends that I really enjoy spending time with in smaller settings. That is such a concrete example. And in my brain, I just went, oh, like, yeah, you're going to play with 10 kids on the playgrounds if you're yeah. playing soccer, because it's five kids on each team. But when we're doing play dates, it might be only one or two other families we're getting together with. And that's sure. okay. Yeah. And there's actually value in both. There's value in navigating how do we play kickball if we don't agree on the rules. And there's value in having one-on-one time with a really close friend with whom you're on the same page. I love that. And what a great, thank you so much, because I feel like this is such an important message too for adults. You know, I yeah. think like, we have acquaintances and people that we bump into the grocery store and might chit chat, but we're not planning like a girl's night with them. And that's okay. We have different people in different roles. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I enjoy, I got so much out of this conversation. Me too. And I, know, I loved talking I know, about this with you. Yay. And so I think I'm just hoping that it really sets everybody up for a really great, great school year. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining this core conversation and we will see you back here next week. Thanks so much, Tori. Thanks. Bye. 